Chapter Fifteen of the Postmaster's Daughter by Lewis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A matter of heredity. Shortly before noon on Monday occurred two events destined to assume a paramount importance in the affair which was wringing the withers of Strayenholm. As in the histories of both men and nations, these first steps in great developments began quietly enough. For one thing, Furneaux returned to the village. For another, the London telegraphist, who expected the day to prove practically a blank, was reading a newspaper when the telegraph instrument clicked the local call. Doris was checking and distributing the stock of stamps which had arrived that morning. Her father was counting mailbags in a small annex to the main room, the Knollworth office having acquired a habit of making up shortages by docking the country branches. No member of the public happened to be present. The girl could have heard what the Morse code was tapping forth had she chosen, but she had trained herself to disregard the telegraph when occupied on other work. Suddenly, however, the telegraphist pencil paused hello he said theodore seidel that's the chemist opposite isn't it yes said doris suspending her calculations at mention of the name well his mother's dead dead she echoed vacantly somehow it had never hitherto dawned on her that the chemist might possess relatives in some part of the country that's what it says went on the other Regret inform you your mother died this morning. Superintendent Horton Asylum. In an asylum, too, said the girl, speaking at random. Yes, Horton is the place for epileptic lunatics near Epson, you know. I didn't know. Does it mean that, that she was an epileptic lunatic? So I should imagine from the wording, if a nurse or a matron, they'd surely describe her as such. I suppose we ought not to discuss Mr. Seidel's telegram, said Doris, after a pause. Well, no, but where's the harm? I wouldn't have yelled out the news if we three weren't alone. Where's that boy? Gone to his dinner. Father will take it. By the way, say nothing to him as to the contents. Would you mind calling him? Doris hurried swiftly to the sitting-room and thence upstairs. The telegraphist explained the absence of a messenger, so Mr. Martin delivered the telegram in person. Crossing the street, he detected a dead bee. He picked it up, horrified at the thought that the Isle of Wight disease might have reached Sussex, so it was an absent-minded postmaster who handed the telegram over Seidel's counter, inquiring laconically, "'Is there any answer?' Seidel opened the buff envelope and read. He glanced sharply at Morton. No, he said. What's wrong with that bee? I don't know. I have my doubts. When I have a moment to spare, I'll put it under the microscope. Seidel examined the telegram again. The handwriting was that beloved of civil service commissioners. Unquestionably, it was not Doris's. No sooner had his friend gone off, still intent on the dead insect, than Seidel followed. He knew that the bee would undergo scientific scrutiny at once, so gave Martin just enough time to dive into the sitting-room before entering the post-office. "'Did you receive this telegram a few minutes ago?' he inquired. 
the young man became severely official which telegram he said stiffly this one and Seidel gave him the written message yes was the answer excuse me but er are the contents known to you only what do you mean sir it would cost me my berth if i divulged a word of it to any one i'm sorry pray don't take offence i-i'm anxious that my friends mr and miss martin should not hear of it that is what i really have in mind the telegraphist cooled down you may be quite sure that neither they nor any other person in Strayenholm will ever see the duplicate he said confidentially i make up a package containing duplicates each evening and it is sent to headquarters if it will please you i'll lock the copy now in my desk that is exceedingly good of you said Seidel gratefully you as a londoner will understand that such a telegram from er horton is not the sort of thing one would like to become known even in the most limited circle you can depend on me sir Seidel hastened back to his shop the telegraphist looked after him queer he mused miss morton guessed him at once hugh i must be careful this village contains surprises doris watching from an upper room saw the visitor and timed him she imagined he had dispatched an answer being a woman she sought enlightenment a few minutes later mr Seidel came in she said tentatively yes said the specialist smiling and i agree with you miss martin we mustn't talk about telegrams even among ourselves unless it is necessary departmentally doris was silenced but she read the riddle correctly the chemist was particularly anxious that no strayenholm resident should be made aware of his mother's death she wondered why she was enlightened when furneaux paid a call about tea-time she took him into the garden the lawn at the hollies was empty well you entertain an acquaintance yesterday he began yes am i to tell you what happened not a great deal i imagine he said with a puzzling laugh no but i annoyed him as mr no names broke in the detective hastily names especially modern ones destroy romance even the georgian method of using initials or leaving out vowels lend an air of intrigue to the veriest balderdash but no one can overhear us was the somewhat surprised comment how true said furneaux pardon me miss martin tell the story in your own way doris had a good memory she was invariably letter perfect in a play after a couple of rehearsals and could prompt others if they faltered the detective listened in silence while she repeated the conversation between Seidel and herself he took no notes in fact he hardly ever did make any record in a case unless it was essential to prove the exact words of a suspected person good he said when she had finished that sounds like the complete text i don't think i have left out anything of importance that is if a single word of it is important oh heaps he assured her it's even better than i dared hope can you tell me if Seidel's mother is dead yet the question found doris so thoroughly unprepared that she blurted out have you had a telegram too then no but Seidel has had one eh 
"'Don't be vexed. I'm not tricking you into revealing post-office secrets. I knew she was dying, and when I saw your father take a message to the chemist's shop, I simply made an accurate guess. Now I'm going to scare you, purposely and of malice aforethought, because I want you to be a good little girl and obey orders.' Mrs. Seidel, Sr., now happily deceased, was an epileptic lunatic of a particularly dangerous type. She suffered from what is classed by the doctors as furor epilepticus, a form of spasmodic insanity not inconsistent with a high degree of bodily vigor and long periods of apparently complete mental saneness. Now, if I were not speaking to one who has shared her father's studies in bee-life, I would not introduce the subject of heredity. But you know, Miss Martin, that such racial characteristics are transmitted, or transmittable, I should say, by sex opposites. Thus, an epileptic mother is more likely to give her taint to a son than to a daughter. Yes, I mean all that, and more, he went on, seeing the look of horror not unmixed with fear in Doris's eyes. There must be no more irritating of Seidel, or playing on his feelings, by you at any rate. Treat him gently. If he insists on making love to you, be as firm as you like in a non-committal way. I mean, by that, an entire absence on your part of any suggestion that you are repulsing him because of a real or supposed preference for any other man. Do you want me to believe that he is liable to attack me? demanded the girl, her naturally courageous spirit coming to her aid. I do, said Furneaux, speaking with marked earnestness. Yet you ask me to endure his company if he chooses to force himself on me. For a few days. But it may be a few years. No, that is not to be thought of. Leave it to me to devise a way. Besides, you need not allow him so many opportunities that the strain would become unbearable. You are busy, owing to the certain increase of work brought about by this murder. Your time will be greatly occupied. But don't render him morbidly suspicious. For instance, no more dinners at the Hollies. No more gadding about by night, if you hear weird noises on the other side of the river and you must absolutely deny yourself the pleasurable excitement of Mr. Grant's company. You are carrying a warning to its extreme limit. Exactly. And am I to keep this knowledge to myself? In whom would you confide? My father, of course. I know you better, and the detective's voice took a profoundly serious note. Your father would never admit that what he knows to be true of bees is equally true of humanity. You can trust the police to keep a pretty sharp eye on Seidel, of course, but the present is a strenuous period, both for us and for people with maniacal tendencies, so accidents may happen. You have distressed me immeasurably, said the girl, striving to pierce the mask of that inscrutable face. I meant to, answered Furneaux quietly no half-measures for me. I've looked up the asylum record of Mrs. Seidel, senior, and it's not nice reading. There was a Mrs. Seidel, junior, then? A Mrs. Theodore Seidel, if one adopts the conventional usage. Yes, she died last month. Last month? gasped Doris, 
feeling vaguely that she was moving in a maze of deceit and subterfuge on may twenty fifth to be precise she lived apart from her husband i have reason to believe she feared him yet she hesitated hardly able to put her jumbled thoughts into words yes that's so said the detective instantly never mind it's a fairly decent world taken in block i ought to speak with authority i see enough of the seamy side of it goodness knows now forewarned is forearmed don't be nervous don't take risks everything will come right in time remember i'm not far away in an emergency should i chance to be absent if you need advice send for mr franklin you can easily devise some official excuse a mislaid letter or an error in a telegram i think i shall feel confident if both of you are near and the ghost of a smile lit doris's wane features we're a marvelous combination grinned furno reverting at once to his normal impishness i am all brain he is all muscle such an alliance prevails against the ungodly is mr grant in any danger inquired doris suddenly no the two looked into each other's eyes doris was eager to ask a question which furno dared her to put the detective won she sighed very well she said i'm to behave am i to regard myself as a decoy duck a duck anyhow she laughed lightly furno would vouchsafe no further information it would appear for a girl of nineteen doris was uncommonly gifted with clear analytical reasoning powers the detective returned to the hare and hounds and went upstairs he met peters on the landing the devil he cried my dear pal retorted the journalist are you living here why not why not indeed where the eagles are there is the carcass your misquotation is offensive it was so intended come and have a drink no i said yes you'll thank me on your bended knees afterwards the south american gent is having the time of his life i've just been to my room for whittaker's almanac wherewith a certain don walter hart purposes flooring him wally hart had indeed succeeded in running to earth the argentine magnate and was giving winter a most uncomfortable quarter of an hour ha shouted hart when furneaux came in with peters here's the pocket marvel who answer any question straight off what is the staple export of the argentine how often have you been there demanded the detective dryly six times and you've lived there this to winter yes glowered the big man fearing the worst then the answer is fools crackled furneaux wally laughed he had remembered just in time that he had no right to claim acquaintance with the representative of scotland yard and there were some farmers present each of whom had a likely animal to offer the buyer of blood stock gad i think you're right he said you wanted me to say sheep i suppose got it at once as though one valuable horse wasn't worth a thousand sheep just what my friend don manuel acorta of los andes ranch catamara always held put in winter drawing the bow at a venture hart cocked an eye at him sir he said i would take off my hat if i wore one in strayenholm 
to any man who claims the friendship of don manuel acorta a sincere patriot i suggest that we crack a bottle to his immortal memory my doctor forbids me to touch wine said winter mournfully but these bucolic breeders of browns and bays employ wiser medicos i'll go bail landlord a quarter of the best and six out as they say in london six glasses were duly filled with champagne when it was consumed heart buttonholed peters a word with you scribe he said good day gentlemen i leave you to your nags treat mr franklin fairly the friend of don manuel acorta must be a true man winter heaved a sigh of relief when the professional revolutionist had vanished he's a funny un commented one of the farmers a bit touched i reckon said another what's he doing now to the other one they looked through the window the two were standing in the middle of the road and wally was shaking peters violently the argument was not so fierce as it appeared to be peters had been commanded to bring both detectives to dinner that evening when he demurred trying to hedge on the question of winner's identity hart grabbed him by the shoulder do as i tell you he hissed of course i know now that the big fellow is the man grant heard of a week ago i was an idiot to take him seriously about the argentine bring the pair of em i tell you we'll make a night of it i'll try said peters faintly but if you stir up that wine so vigorously i won't answer for the consequences winter wishing devoutly that would-be sellers of horseflesh were not so numerous in the district noted the names and addresses of the local men and promised to write when he could make an appointment then he escaped upstairs whither furneaux soon followed winter had secured an extra bedroom overlooking the river which tomlin had converted into a sitting-room thus he held a secure observation post both in front and rear of the hotel well how did she take it inquired the chief inspector when he and his colleague were safe behind a closed door sensible girl said furneaux by the way siddle's mother is dead telegram came this morning things should happen now i don't quite see why no you're still muddled after floundering in the mud of south america what possessed you to let that cheerful idiot wally hart put you in a cart how could i help it i was extracting some really helpful facts about siddle and elkin from tomlin and the others when a stock-headed whirlwind blew in and nearly embraced me because i claimed acquaintance with an el dorado bar in buenos aires from that instant i was lost like st augustine on the gridiron no sooner was i nicely toasted on one side than i was turned on to the other that grinning penny-a-liner peters too helped an assistant torturer wait till he asked me for a pointer in this or any other case he sold me a pup to-day but i'll land him with a full-size mastiff no you won't he's done you a lot of good you were simply reeking with conceit when i met you this morning it was sidle this and sidle that until you fairly sickened to me one would have thought i hadn't cleared the ground for you left you with all lines open and yourself unknown to the enemy sometimes you make me tired sorry charles said winter patronizingly i had a bit of luck on sunday i admit 
the chance turn taken by the conversation with doris with the result that i am able to occupy a strategic position on the cliff and here every word siddle uttered was really fortunate but isn't that just what men mean when they pray to success opportunity knocks once at every man's door says the old saw the clever man grabs hold instantly the indolent one often a mere gabbler opens his eyes and his mouth weeks afterwards and cries dear me was that the much looked-for opportunity of course robinson's by-play with the sack and rope was merely thrown in by the prodigal hand of fate stop yelped Furno. another platitude and i'll assault you with the tongs it was the invariable habit of the biggin and the littlin to quarrel like cat and dog when the toils were closing in around a suspect woe then to the male factor his was a parlous state let's cool down charles said winter opening a leather case and selecting with great care one out of a half a dozen precisely similar cigars we're pretty sure of our man but we haven't a scrap of evidence against him how or where to begin ringing him in i haven't the faintest notion if only he'd kill grant we'd get him at once but he won't he trusts to ingerman playing that part of the game he's as artful as a pet fox i bought soap and a pound of sal volatile but he did up each parcel with sealing wax sal volatile smiled winter i too went in for soap but my imagination would not soar beyond a packet of cotton wool it was the lumpiest thing i could think of and perfectly useless sneered furneaux i must say you do fling the taxpayers money about now my little lot will keep the electric bells in my flat in order for two years you forget that constant association with you demands that i should frequently plug my two ears retorted winter furneaux would surely have thrown back the jest had not a knock on the door interrupted him who's there i'm busy cried winter meow whined peter's voice oh it's you tom come in the journalist crept in on tiptoe hush we are not observed he said wally hart threatens to choke me if you two don't dine with him and grant to-night there was silence for a little while the detectives looked at each other at what time said winter at last peters was astonished and showed it why i assured him it was absolutely impossible he cried well it isn't in fact it suits our plans i want exercise and shall walk back from knollworth furneaux will make his own arrangements tell grant that i shall drop in without knocking and tell him i shall arrive by parachute added furneaux in case of accidents and there is a shoot-up with myself as the unresisting victim my front name is james said peters the only good point about you scoffed winter you're strong on names to-day tittered the journalist don manuel Alcorto was a superb effort as an authority on gee-gees wally tells me his don ship is the recognized expert south of the line on seismic disturbances and spends his days and nights watching a needle making scratches on a sensitive plate he would be useful here in a day or two said winter ah thanks is that a tip not for publication 
what you must say is that this affair looks like baffling the shrewdest wits in scotland yard my very phrase my own ewe lamb pardon i shouldn't have alluded to sheep the only known representative of the yard in Strayenholme is Furno," smiled the chief inspector. Furno was drumming on a window-pane with his fingertips. True, he cackled. Just to prove it, he now informs you that Seidel, finding trade slow, has called on Mr. John Mintz's grant. End of chapter 15